All right, what's going on Men's Health Unscripted Nation? Patrick and Steven here again for another exciting interview. We have a fantastic guest on today, Kim Burns Cummings. She's a good family friend of mine. And to be honest, I did not know that she had such a powerful story. So we're gonna endorse her a little bit. She's a pottery wizard, KimberlyPottery.com. We're gonna include that in the, a, a link in our bio. And more importantly, she has a fantastic message for everyone out there regarding men's health. And we're just really, really excited to get started. So thank you for coming on the show, Kim. I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, I, when I heard the couple minutes that you had to spare on the phone the other day about this interview, you know, obviously I, I was saddened to hear the news, but I was also very excited for the opportunity to spread the word about men's health and prostate cancer awareness. Thank you, Patrick. It's really an honor and a pleasure. And if I can help one person, then it's worth it to be here today. And I would do anything for you anyway, so. Thank you. We say the same thing too. We think if our podcast can just help one person, then it's all worth it. So that's a great attitude and, and uh, we really appreciate it. So we're gonna give you the floor this this is we know this is going to be a really powerful story and we just want to have you describe your experience how did your dad find out that he had prostate cancer and what role did you play in helping him discover the issue and forward um i'll start by saying i'm an only child and i was spoiled with love by both my parents and so we were very, very close. And I was um, at home one night when my dad called. This was um, 20 years ago, um, but the story will be fresher than that. But it was 20 years ago. And he called to say he had some really bad news that his very best friend, Tom, had called about an hour prior to say that he um, had prostate cancer and that he was really shocked because he didn't really feel any symptoms. And he told my dad, listen, um, it's bad. And I didn't get checked. And so they told me I don't really have that much time. And this was my dad's best friend. He was their best man in their wedding. So this was like his brother. And um, so I was trying to console my dad without yelling at him, which is really my first instinct <laughs> was, um, so you're acting like, you know, prostate cancer is something you don't know anything about. And he goes, well, why would I know anything about it? I don't have it. And I go, so wait, let me get this straight. You haven't been tested for prostate cancer? And he goes, I am fine. I don't have any symptoms. And I said, Dad, it doesn't work that way. Your best friend just told you he didn't have any symptoms and he has stage four or he's in his final days. So tomorrow, either you find a doctor or I will. This, there's, this is not up for questioning at all. And he's like, I kind of always thought of this as if it ain't broke, don't fix it, he said. And I said, okay, well, I'm gonna hang up on you and tomorrow you're gonna to tell me what day and time I'm gonna take you to your doctor. And so, um, it, role reversal. So he did <laughs> and he was reluctant, but I went with them and they did a PSA test and you know, we came home. And I will tell you, I was like, oh, good we got that out of the way. You know, he got his test. He's fine. He has no symptoms. He's absolutely a portrait of health. He walks six miles a day. And at the time he was 70 something years old. And, um, and I don't know how many days later, forgive me, but um, he called to tell me that they called and he said, if, if it wasn't for you, you know, I wouldn't have known this, but they said my numbers are such that um, it looks like I have prostate cancer. And I can remember, God bless, they're both in heaven now. So I feel bad when I talk badly about my parents. But I can remember my mom's voice, like the parakeet that we talked about earlier, um, 
I heard her in the background of the phone call going, bah, 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 bah. and I go, what is going on? He goes, mom says this, this is ridiculous because obviously I have no symptoms, so I should just ignore it. So I only share that bad story about my, my mom, my wonderful mom, because that's what a lot of people do. They're looking for a green spot that shows on the skin or an eye that plops out of their head or their hair falling out or suddenly they're vomiting every day. I'm sorry, folks, that doesn't happen. My dad had no symptoms. So skip to um, the day of surgery. They said we, he caught it so soon that it was a very simple surgery. They had done thousands of them. I think actually they said they had done 12 hundred of these particular prostate removal surgery, prostate cancer removal surgeries. And I did research on the doctor that he chose and I felt so good. So I dropped him off at the surgery center and, you know, I, we both felt fine. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't scared. He served in the war. He's a tough guy. And I drove to work because they said they would call me in a couple of hours. And a few minutes later, my phone rings and it wasn't good because it was my dad. And I go, oh my God, did you forget something in the car? And he goes, no, <clears throat> they had to do a screening or an x-ray before they could put me under. And they said it had already spread to my sacrum and sternum. So that was probably one of the worst days of my life um, because then began the process of having this surrogate relationship with my dad. That was the good part, but the bad part was that my dad needed me to be a medical surrogate for him Absolutely. because my mom, who I love very much, <laughs> was not going to be that person. Um, and we did, you know, enjoy each other's company, but um, I have to say that I worked two jobs and so some days it was hard when he goes, they, they just called, uh, he went to the VA and he, they just called from the VA and you have to take me in the morning. And I go, I, I can't. He's like, I, I mean, I have to be there. So there's that, you know, there's you, you, you as the surrogate and the patient have to put up with scheduling and it's all part of um getting well so anyway he couldn't have that surgery and they gave him two years to live and my dad had this beautiful sense of denial it was amazing and he just said we're gonna listen to music um he was a sober alcoholic he hadn't had a drink in years many years and uh which was great and so we walked together on bayshore and uh, I, we called each other every single day and I made sure that we joked around and we were happy. It was very easy to do that. My dad was super funny and they gave him two years, but he lived eight years because he said all in all, he felt that they were wrong and he thought it was gas. <laughs> well, the denial got him six extra years is what it sounded like there. That's what my whole family believes. Yeah. Wow. The mind, uh, the mind is very powerful. He kind of, uh, opted to not go with chemo. Was that a route he took to take it? Was, it wasn't an option. Um, we did radiation and he had a port. Um, and so he would go to, to the VA by USF um, and when he had to, you know, have the radiation put into his port but he said it never bothered him. And on most days he could um, go by himself. Um, but if they said that they were gonna have to do something else, then I would go and go. And I, and I told this part to Patrick um, earlier that, um, I don't, I mean, I don't know what's acceptable to you, but I have to say that some of the people at the VA really mistreated my dad verbally. And it was um, a miracle that I didn't go to jail because he's the sweetest, most respectful, kindest, 
patient man and um and it was it was pretty difficult it was really challenging for me to watch that i actually feel emotional just even talking about it because maybe i didn't want to deal with how scary it was that my dad had the c word and instead i'm just remembering how mad i was at the woman that yelled at my dad um could be but <laughs> um there's there are all these things that somebody going through cancer treatment they have to deal with and there are some people that are kinder and more loving and compassionate than others and i hope that your people find those workers well ju just hearing the compassion in your voice it's you know you hear that the support system is more important than the clinical staff and what they have to offer and you know i have my own experience of that with dealing with my grandmother having it and not receiving the best treatment in the hospital but just outliving all of her expectations because of the positive quality of life and it sounds like you know what you and your your mom provided to him or at least joined him with um was you know going on those walks on bayshore and embracing you know the brighter side of life so that's you know the beauty in this kind of story that you know if that brings you emotion and and how people can see another side of the situation. So just embracing what life is left to have. And it sounds like it was a beautiful one, honestly. It was so beautiful because none of us know how many days we have left on the planet, none of us. And to, to know that we didn't have to know the number of days that we had left, but we knew they were numbered. And for me, um, suddenly those two jobs and my two children that I had as a single parent, that wasn't something that I said, dad, I can't help you because I have blah, blah, blah. I, my kids wanted me to help their grandfather. My kids wanted me to be with dad first. And um, so it was a united force and Plus my kids and my dad, just like a love fest. And they both were involved in school things and little league. And so my dad never missed a game of my sons, you know, and, and just being there and being with, he loved being with people. That was his favorite thing. It was his final recording that I still have. Um, <laughs> God, this is like <laughs> it's powerful. It's, it's powerful. Um, my husband had taken him. We didn't, of course, know at the time, but for his last outing and lunch, and uh, he left a voicemail um, saying, "God, today was the most amazing day ever. I mean, just to be with people. Oh my." God, and it was gorgeous today. Wasn't it just gorgeous? And I want to thank you, Bill, for giving me this beautiful, beautiful day. Hospice, but he also broke out of hospice. He would call people going, can you come get me? Because like, they're not letting me out of here, you know? My friends would call going, your dad wants me to take, and I go, please don't go get my dad. He's dying. Like, can you please don't get my dad? <laughs> but he would, he, he would break out of hospice and then he would, without any medication, you know, that whole positivity, he would go home and honestly, we would come over and we would have meals together. And then three months later, he, he would say, I don't feel good. And then he would go back into hospice. And this went on for about nine months. <laughs> But he, it wasn't nine months of suffering. It was, it was, I don't even know how to explain it because I've told other people and they go, yeah, I've heard of things like that, but I've never known anyone. And I go, well, of course it would be my dad. So he finally ate this huge piece of chocolate in hospice on Valentine's day with Bill and me and had a massive stroke. And that was better than having him deteriorate because again, he was very proud and he was a very um, handsome man and he, you know, worked that he lifted weights, you know, he didn't, 
he didn't want to go, he didn't want to leave the earth ugly. <laughs> so. well, he, he lifted weights. He was in the, he was in the military. He walked actively after his diagnosis. Uh, sounds like he lived you know, a really yeah. macho lifestyle, but no symptoms of prostate cancer. Uh, I mean, these are things that you, you think you're living a healthy life, so people think they may not have to get checked. And I think that's a really powerful message that you're putting out here right now is just get checked. Just, just stay up to date with getting checked. Just get checked. Because remember, the beginning of the story is that his best friend really is responsible for him having eight years mm -hmm. rather than less than two. Who knows? Doesn't matter. He made that call to my dad and said, tell me you've been checked. And then, you know, it went from there. So I just wanted to come full circle back to it took someone in his life that he loves that got sick to alert us because I didn't know I had to ask my dad. He wasn't senile. <laughs> I didn't know I had to say, hey, I just want to make sure you're going to the doctor and having, you know, colonoscopies and all. He, he hadn't had anything. I didn't know at that time because I was a mommy myself. I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. And I want to share that because I didn't know. Yeah. And then my mom ended up um, dropping dead in the middle of all this and she wasn't sick at all. So he lived um, five years after that. Um, here we thought, you know, it was going to be dad, but that's that's really sad. I'm sorry, but that 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 happened. You know, mom, the denier, just died in her sleep at 64, my my age. So, um, suck the life out of every day, people. Yeah, yeah. It, this is really a strong message to live life to your fullest, and um, I, I'm really glad that you've you've come out and just said those those things just about getting checked and, and how important it is. I mean, that's really, I know you've seen some of our episodes and it's just like really what we're about is it's, it's not, we're not asking, you know, anybody to be a rocket scientist. We're just saying, go get checked out. Be pre like prevention is so key that, you know, you take someone like your dad who on the outside appeared very healthy Weightlifter, military man. I mean, like Stephen said, the the epitome of machismo, and and we you know find out that on the inside, even though you're not feeling symptoms on the outside or seeing anything, that it can really just be detrimental to not get checked out. And also just um, the fact that he's a man, and you know, I was already getting colonoscopies and you know, I mean, this is, we're talking about medicine, going to the gynecologist every year. I don't wait for someone to tell me. I get my teeth cleaned twice a year. I go to the dentist every year. Um, but I think there is a little bit, a story to the fact that men have to be pushed a little. Um, that needs to be changed. That's all. It just needs to be changed. You're doing it right now. You're changing it. So, that's just silly. That's like the people that are, um, let's bring it to the present. That's like people not wearing a mask because they don't feel a symptom. No, it doesn't work that way, right? We wear masks to be, to prevent giving it and receiving coronavirus. So men need to, everybody needs to, to get their check and their, their checkups. There are age appropriate checkups. I know that that's your job to talk about it, but, you know, prostate cancer, there is an age to have that, you know, there's an age for colonoscopies and everybody needs to be responsible and be their own patrol and find out, you know, Hey, I'm turning 40. What do I need to do? Get a blood test? Sure. That's a great thing to do. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned, uh, sorry, Patrick. No, go you ahead. Uh, his his first check was essentially at his diagnosis at his, his mid seventies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Because he passed at eighty one, and he lived eight years, so early seventies. 
Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's 73. I had never thought about that. He was 73. Because in my mind, if you saw him, he was like younger than 73, you know. Um, but yeah, he was 73. So he thought he had gotten through all that. <laughs> well, it sounds like he had a young man's spirit, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but he still got prostate cancer. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So um, just we talked a little bit about your dad, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about you. I mean, you're sending the message right now to the people out there watching the show and you're, you're kind of describing how you were an advocate for your dad before anybody else was. I mean, you know, and I, I know that you did have some support, but you know, how did you deal with it being the caregiver and being the advocate for someone out there who might be watching who is in a situation where they need to tell their dad or husband to get their butt to the doctor and get checked out and, and really like fully embrace that? I mean, what would you say to them? Um, I don't, the only negative part for me um, being his surrogate, medical surrogate, um, his support system was that even though he and my mom were close, um, my mom had polio when I was three years old, she was 24. So my mom was in a wheelchair. So it wasn't like, she, you know, there were a lot of things that she could do, but mentally she was in the kind of denial that I'm not ad advising earlier. She was just, in, she's just like, this is ridiculous. Your dad can't have cancer because he's never even been sick. Um, so that, that kind of thing doesn't help. And the only, the only really rough thing for me um, was that I, I did need to work to these two jobs, which I loved working, but time is very, very much a challenge when, when I had to take my dad and pick him up. And, you know, as many times, you know, five or six, seven times that I said, dad, I can do it, but I have to drop you off. And then, you know, call me and I'll pick you up, but can you take your book with you? This poor, wonderful, delicious man would always take a book because I couldn't just be there, you know, like I couldn't be there five seconds after he called. Um, but he's, he never complained and I always apologize. And he's like, are you kidding? He goes, this book is amazing. I didn't even know you weren't here yet. So, I mean, you know, I have a great story about it. Um, maybe it'll be more challenging for other people, but just knowing that, um, that you get to have this time with, I, I mean, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't absolutely adore my dad. I, I mean, if I wouldn't do it for someone that I wasn't close with or that I didn't have an intimate relationship with, um, at the time in my life, because I didn't have a place for that kind of extra time. But for my dad, oh my God, what I got out of it was tenfold, tenfold, a hundredfold. The giggling and, and the phone calls and, you know, telling me that he's pretty sure if I got gas X for him that he would be all better and the cancer would go away. He was so serious. <laughs> and so I was on the phone, I remember it doing that to my cheeks going, oh my God, don't laugh because if he believes this, he will feel better at this moment. And so the next day he called to say, I knew it. It worked. It worked. It's effective. <laughs> so this is an ad for GasX. <laughs> now you know. Well, it sounds like, you know, during this time you were, um, arguably, you know, the pillar of support during his time, you know, through this, but, you know, you mentioned a lot of people may not have that luxury of, you know, time and distance being with their loved ones. And I would just like to point the importance to anyone that may be going through this, that even a phone call, just, just the routine weekly phone call can go such a long way. Like personally, I still have voicemails from my grandmother who passed just because like, the, the power of like a loved one's voice works wonders 
So the fact that you were doing that, physical contact, talking on the phone, taking to appointments, like you, you were the support system that people need and that, that really allows eight years of post-diagnosis, you know, high quality of life. Uh, so I think that's something that you should be very proud of. Just me as a viewer and the first time meeting with you in this way, uh, it's really impressive because it's, you mentioned the denial factor and I know you said your mom had the denial and I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd be curious to wonder if you had a sense of denial too, but fought through it at all. Nothing, you, you knew right away. Yeah. I appreciate what you're saying though. I really do. Cause I never thought of, I mean, there's nothing heroic at, at all about what I did. And some days um, I, I was cranky um, and you know, there's that, but I, he knew that I loved him and, um, and I absolutely knew that my dad loved me. So he just put up with me being cranky sometimes. And again, that crankiness was only because, because my time wasn't completely my own at the time. And so what big deal? Cause I don't even remember why. I mean, so what, <laughs> so what my dad needed me and my kids, you know, wanted me, my kids were at their best when they knew that I was leaving them. I mean, they weren't little, I wasn't a bad mother. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they were, um, 12 and 15. Um, but you know, they, I had to also make sure they were doing their school responsibilities, but, they would get along better and fight less and maybe even do their chores when they knew that I was doing something for their grandfather, um, which I hadn't really thought about either. So there's that, you know, and every family dynamic is so different. Um, I think most people, I hate to generalize, have siblings. And I know so many, I have a hashtag I use all the time, screw cancer but I know so many people that have um, gone through the challenge of different forms of cancer. I had five girlfriends last year, five, all five are still alive. Um, but it took entire families to, to help them and siblings. And so, you know, the, here's a call out to, if you're, you know, at odds with your family and you think your health is perfect, I would really get out of odds with your family because you don't know what's in store. You know, when you need somebody, that's a hard call to ask for help for anybody, especially men. Men don't ask for directions or help, so. We're stubborn. <laughs> We're stubborn at times. <laughs> I know I'm, uh old enough to remember the days before GPS on the phone and just being in the car with my grandfather and going on road trips and my grandmother saying, uh, can we, can we ask for help? Cause we're lost. And he's like, no, nah, we'll find it. And <laughs> I remember a couple times of having to get off the interstate and actually having to ask for help, but more times than not, he's like, yeah, no. So. <laughs> And, and that really is, is very reflective just on, on, you know, overall, I don't want to generalize, but men in general, how, how we're not asking for help for going to the doctor or even, you know, dietary advice, anything like that. And, and I think that hopefully Stephen and I are, are really going to start bringing a change about. And I know that, that men's health as a whole is growing. And so hopefully just, the combination of it, like we're here just to get people, like to help get people to realize how important their health is and how just to not let anything go because it's just not worth it. I will add the great news is that um, my husband, who my dad got to meet and love, as I told you, he had his last day with him. Um, <laughs> he is the exact opposite. He as a matter of fact, when we first started dating, I thought he was a hypochondriac because he had so many doctor's appointments. You know, he has an allergist and a GP and he had his physical every year. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, that's weird. Um, and so he is the person that makes me go to the doctor. 
honestly. God, I hope that didn't ruin everything I've said. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I always have my checkups, but I just like, if I don't feel good, he goes, why don't you just go to the doctor? I go, I am not doing that. <laughs> so he, he is um, definitely the first to go if he feels like he's getting something or his allergies are coming um, or he gets his blood test, his prostate exam, colonoscopy, everything. I have never asked that man to make an appointment for himself and he's never been late having one. So I will share the good news is that, um, you know, my, my mom and dad may have been deniers, but I married um, a, a really on task uh, man, um, so he keeps me in line now. So yeah, so it's full circle. <laughs> he sounds like We're a glad to hear he's a men's health unscripted, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should get him to come in here. He'll tell you exactly how often you should do every appointment. <laughs> That's good though. Glad to hear he's a shining example of, of what we want men's health to be. Yep. And even, I mean, talking to Steven before this, I mean, before we went to pharmacy school, I don't think that we really ever considered going to the doctor. And now like we have required physicals and stuff like that. And then just doing this, I mean, we really have to live and practice what we're preaching. And, you know, thankfully I haven't had anything wrong with me, but I, I feel a lot more comfortable going to the doctor and understanding the healthcare system and just and how it works I, I feel a lot more comfortable and really all it takes is just you know finding somebody that you're comfortable with and that they that they're willing to you know explain things maybe in in layman's terms and not just you know hit people with a bunch of medical terminology and knowledge and that that scares people away and just being relatable so that that's kind of another one of the reasons we have this show is to be relatable and and be those good shining examples of men's health and, and healthcare professionals. I think to add to that, Patrick, um, really what you said about being able to be comfortable with a new doctor and all of that, I think that is so important because I have been to, um, I have spine issues, horrible spine issues, and I've been to five or six doctors and spinal surgeons, neurosurgeons rather, um, that have turned me off immediately on our initial uh, meeting uh, appointment. And, and I'd be in the car like, oh, that just Xing him out. Like, don't, don't even put him in my address book because um, we can't afford to just say, that's okay, my insurance covers this doctor and he may be horrible. Um, he may have a horrible personality, but you know, it's going to, no, you can't, because what's going to happen is you're not going to want to go and you're not going to want to, and you're not going to feel comfortable giving your symptoms and having a conversation and being open. It's very uncomfortable talking about your colon or, you know, your prostate. I mean, these, this isn't, you know, dinner conversation. Um, you better be able to be comfortable enough to talk to your physicians or your nurse practitioners and, and physician's assistants, which my two stepdaughters are, and they're brilliant and amazing. And they've taught me a lot, you know, just being open and talking about terms. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I have no idea what that term is. And just learning ahead. Don't wait until, you know, people don't need to wait until they're sick to learn about especially different little weird symptoms that you hear people talking about, not to be a hypochondriac, but just to say, that's weird because I do have that thing that happens all the time. I didn't know that that should be looked at, but I think having a, a decent, respectful, mutually respectful relationship with a physician, surgeon is urgently important. I think it's a really underrepresented relationship that you're talking about because it's one thing to go to the doctor for your annual checkup, but if you're not going to make the most of that checkup by being honest, then, then you're wasting your time. But what you're saying is to have a professional, almost friendly relationship to where you can openly talk about these things. Yes. Um, and I, I, the alternative is, 
not liking your position versus, you know, enjoying the experience. So it sounds like you were active in finding, you know, and currently finding people that you can relate to. Um, so when you're going through this with your father, um, I'm curious, you know, did you ever, did you ever take the time to, you know, try to find resources to help you deal with this? Did the clinical staff offer anything to help you as a support system, help you through this? Did you have anything external to you helping your father that other people may be able to use? It's a great question. It really is. And, and I don't want to let you down, but I, I didn't feel the need at the time. And I, but I do know, um, I also had a great support staff at my church at Pomacia Presbyterian in Pomacia. Um, and I, and I, I, I did use that source because my dad went to church with, with us and, um, and that was amazing. And my, my pastor was next to my dad's bedside when, um, the day before he passed. So, um, so I started out saying no, and now I realize I'm saying yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm working through this. Okay, so I did have a great support system, and it was um, both my pastors and a few um, therapists through the church that we could check in with anytime we needed, and I absolutely forgot about that for a few moments. So. I think when I finish this call, that I'll reach out and, and send a thank you note um, just for being that person in our lives at that time. That would, so thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah, you know, it goes to just show, you know, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you were able to find that, you know, outside of the hospital system because, you know, it, you could feel so isolated in those times that it's you, the family, and the hospital, and you forget that the whole community of people out there. So just to any viewers that may be going through this, you know, other people in your social circles may also be going through this. So the communication doesn't stop with the family or the doctor. You know, these are things that you can openly talk about people, you know, if you feel safe enough to discuss these type of things. So I really appreciate, you know, diving into your memory there to find <laughs> valuable people. That's, that's really, it's really powerful. It's the over 60. It's like, yeah, if you get us talking long enough, we will remember. Exactly. Two things. <laughs> it, it's, um, you know, just, we've had a couple of courses and just experiences of, of being a caregiver and just talking about it. It can really be exhausting and it's nothing against the person that you're taking care of, but you know, uh, I know a lot of people realize that they have their own lives to live, but also need to take care of someone and, and do a really good job at it is, is tough. And when you, when you see someone that you're caring for and they're sick and it's kind of a tough situation, you, you have a tendency to like put that on ourselves that the care isn't optimal or anything like that. And it's really not the case. I mean, the fact that you're caring for a loved one is so important. Um, and just, you reached out to your church and you're mentioning the church therapist, which is a great resource. And a lot of people don't have access to that. And so we, you know, we advocate for men's health, but we advocate for mental health a lot as well. Yes. And it's so important. Again, another topic that's just really not discussed. And, uh, if the mental health deteriorates, the physical health is surely, you know, right behind it just because then. You know, if you want to start getting into the symptoms of depression, you don't want to wash regularly or take care of, you know, self-care. And, and that's really a huge part of, of the mind-body experience um, that we use. I, I, I do want to add that um, I, I didn't have a really hard time with it. When I did, I could go to my church people, but, but it hit me, even though... I knew for eight years my dad was going to die from probably from this disease um, and yet no surprise to either one of you I'm sure it it was really hard it was really hard because things that I didn't think about prior to his passing I drove by his apartment every day to go to work 
I, I, I felt like I was going to throw up. There was no other way to go to work. Um, I felt like I was going to throw up every day. I would cry so hard every single day going to work for like a year. Um, and so I didn't wait a year. Um, maybe a couple of weeks later, Life Path Hospice, um, who are not human beings, they are angels walking on the earth. I have no idea how these people do anything that they do, but they they do it graciously, beautifully, and miraculously. What they reach the out. What was the name again? Life Path Hospice. Life Path Hospice. And they reached out to me and said, you know, we just want to let you know that we have a um, a, a group for um, mourning. But what am I? Um, uh, Grieving. 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 Um, <laughs> and I said, oh, that's not really for me, which I don't know why I would say that. I believe in therapy. I believe in all that. But I was just like, well, that's being around sad people. That's what I was thinking. Being around sad people, <clears throat> definitely not what I want to be doing. That's not going to make me feel any better. But thankfully, I was wrong because one day my car just steered its way. It was next door to my dad's apartment. So I think my dad like steered my car into the driveway one night and they constantly emailed me the schedule of, you know, the grieving meetings. <laughs> and I tell you what, I cried a bucket of tears the first night there, kind of hyperventilating and clearly needed to do that. So that is another thing that I, I just wanted to bring to your to your attention that there's something that costs nothing um, that really helped me a lot. And every Christmas for 12 years, there there is this is this sounds so corny, but there's an ornament that they gave me. Um, he he passed in February, and in December they mailed me an ornament with my dad's name on it. Like who does that? And of course, hysterical crying. And every single year I put that ornament on the tree, I immediately remember how important it was that I did do that for myself. That, cause I didn't need to cry in front of my kids or, you know, my friends. I was like, it would have been okay, but this was a place that said, sit here and you can cry right here. <laughs> We're all going to cry right here. Um, there is a safety in that, uh, you know, um, that I, that I do recommend it was cathartic. So, um, yeah. Steven, we need to look into finding like support groups locally to see if we can uh, include some of those links that, might be I have life path hospice is that them that's yeah. one of them there there are so many um hospice itself um in yeah i think life path is the main one in hillsborough county but they will give you the you know all the residual hospices my dad was in all of them he ran away from all of them but the last one so yeah i know them well, well you just gave him a heck of an endorsement so <laughs> yeah yeah, they're really phenomenal people. That's yeah, awesome. That's good to hear. Another layer to it to be able to find a resource like that and express yourself, you know, in the grieving morning stage, you know, um, powerful, very powerful for you to do that. What else? Patrick, are you trying to talk here? Oh, I thought I froze for a second. So, <laughs> so what would you say to someone? I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but really just Kim's take home message for someone who either A, hasn't gotten a regular checkup or B, someone like yourself who is more than willing to put themselves on the line and advocate for a loved one, what would be your take home message to, to them just to, uh, to go out, get help or to anything, what, whatever you've got. I mean, this is your experience and I don't think, you know, we could speak on 
on what exactly to do. So how did, how did, how would you uh, verbalize that? Well, um, information is power. So why not get, most people have insurance, so use it. And why not get your well baby checkups is what I call them. Have your well baby checkups, all of them, whatever is appropriate to your, you know, your sexual being. If you're a man, you're, I don't have a prostate, so I won't be needing that, but you do. So just information is power. Get as much information as you can. It is powerful. You will get the results that you're fine. And wow, isn't right there. That's a stress reliever to get the results back from whatever that appointment was to find out that you're super healthy or um, for me, I got my first full physical like a couple years ago. Again, I know that's hypocritical, um, <laughs> but I did. And um, woohoo, everything was super great. Um, they said that I just needed a bone density test. And I went, oh, well, with my back and all that, it's going to be horrible. But because of my diet and exercise and my laughter, um, my bone density was actually higher than 90% of women in my age category. So I'm telling you, I, I took that information and soared with it. So don't go to the doctor because you're afraid that you're going to find out that you're sick. Go to the doctor because you want to find out that you're super healthy you know, don't look at it as the negative, look at it as so many positive things you can get out of getting the information about how your body is working. Cause I can't look inside me. <laughs> I don't know what is going on inside me unless I get an X-ray or an MRI or a blood test or a mammogram, you know, all the appropriate tests for our body. We need it. Yeah, it, it's difficult to overcome that mental barrier, too, of distinguishing, I don't want to go to the doctor because something might be wrong versus I want to make sure everything's okay. Those are two very different reasons to go. And mm -hmm. if you're on either side mentally, it dictates if you're really going to go to the doctor or not. And I used to be you know, the former of just not wanting to find out anything bad. And then I went and got my physical and I was like, it's good? Okay, great. That's, that's <laughs> what a relief to know. Um, it's, it's a totally different mindset. Um, so I still need to get mine, you know, we, a little hypocritical too, but you know, I'm younger, I've got it within the past year and a half. So, you know, we're getting there, but, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> well, like I, I had, um, I always had digestion problems as a kid. And so when I got my first, um, colonoscopy, it was so archaic and painful and horrible, but it's not that way anymore. But I was only in my 20s and uh, late 20s. And I've had 14 polyps removed over the years, but every single little thing that I could do that my doctor that I trust in Tampa tells me that I can do to make it better has given me a free and clear colonoscopy the last two times, which has never happened in 30, 40, in almost 40 years. Well, sounds like the result of a, pro of a proactive lifestyle. Yeah. But you, you mentioned your diet, you mentioned your diet and your lifestyle. What diet do you, do you take on? I haven't eaten meat since I was 18 years old. And that was just, I mean, I love animals, but it was, I literally couldn't swallow meat. It was the most disgusting thing. I, and I would beg my parents, like, what did I do wrong? Why are you making me do this? I thought it was such punishment. And so, um, I'm a positive blood. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book eating right for your blood type, but I didn't read that and discover it. I had already not eaten meat for 30 years at the time. And I read this book going, Oh my God, my blood type is a positive is um, my, my system reacts best with nuts and berries and grains. Whoop! That happens to be what I like to eat. 
<laughs> and then um, I don't digest dairy, which is why I had all those colonoscopies because no one ever said, hey, why don't you try letting go of cow milk, which does not ever go past my esophagus. <laughs> so I gave up dairy, like, I don't know, 30 years ago or something. And, um, well, and, and I just, I love vegetables and, and I don't love water. That's my, that's, that's my nemesis. But if I can just put something that looks purple in it, like just anything like berries, you know, squeeze some berries or strawberries or watermelon into it. I'm like, okay, I can drink it now. Uh, I don't know what that's about. But other than not drinking enough water, I exercise six days a week and I love walking and I pretend I'm with my dad every time I walk the Bayshore and um, I'm happy and I love my family. And I have two cats that are hysterical and they keep me young and, and happy. I know that sounds crazy, but I totally mean that. And I'm an artist, so I get to make things. So this isn't just about diet, but it's, it's how I spend my day. I eat right, I exercise, I laugh, I talk to friends, I try to help my friends, um, I make cool things, um, and I go to bed by 11.30 after watching something funny. I have to watch something funny because I have bad dreams. Um, <laughs> and I write letters and I journal and I meditate and I do yoga, um, it's all part of my exercise. Um, I guess I do a lot to stay healthy, huh? <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, I yeah. Garden. I garden. I have a huge garden, and I'm a birder, and um, uh, the garden's very important. There's just oh my, I'm just this far from being that person that starts talking to the little birds out there. That's not far from that at all, and that's okay. My husband started doing it, and he's much younger than I am. He's he's with the COVID shutdown. He is. He's in love with the birds now. He notices things that he never saw before because he always was working really hard. Um, so there's a lot to be joyful about. Stay joyful and you'll fight the C word. If it makes you feel any better, I kind of took up a little bit of gardening myself and I definitely talked to my Yeah, my, my sister did too. It's all she talks about now. So apparently it's contagious. <laughs> I'm a I'm a proud dog dad and a, pr a proud plant dad too. Oh my god, I'm so proud of you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> We're eating out of the garden too, so I haven't have I haven't gotten any yields yet, but I'm ready. Um, we're getting close. Okay, we'll have to start sharing pictures for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's such good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for just. For, for coming on, on the show and sharing your experience with us. Hey, Kitty. This is Penny Lane. Penny Lane. Hi. She has the biggest eyes. <laughs> Hi. So much for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, and just sharing your message because, you know, we, I, I guess like doctors and, and us and just people can preach and, and say, go to the doctor and get checkups and, a story like yours, just an incredible power, incredibly powerful experience that you're willing to share, I think could definitely open someone's eyes to saying, I need to take care of someone or I need to go to the doctor myself. And, and I know that Stephen and I always say that men's health is not just the man's issue. And I mean, you could say the same thing for women's health, but this is a men's health podcast. So we're talking about men. But, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. But and and I, we see, you know, women are a lot more free about talking about going to the doctor. I mean, I have friends that are like, oh, went and got a mammogram the other day, and they just freely talk about it. And you know, getting getting guys to talk about going to get a prostate exam or anything is just like, it's it's almost impossible, really. Okay. And, and we have just, Katie Couric to thank um, for her husband getting colon cancer, and she was the first to ha to have a live colonoscopy, and that saved so many lives. So you're doing been, that too. Yeah, I think there have been just a lot of women in general who have 
stepped out onto the forefront and said the things that you're not supposed to say on TV. And it, I think we, I think we use uh, Betty Ford was an example. She was, from what I understand, the first woman to come on TV and say breast, which is a huge deal at the time. And everyone was like, oh, she said breast, like what's going on? And, and uh, you know, hopefully Steven and I can be the first people to say, you know, maybe prostate on live TV, that would be cool. <laughs> I know, I'm hey, say it now. <laughs> that is his ultimate goal with this whole thing is to just say prostate on TV. Is anything we have about any vision for the channel? He's like, I just want to say prostate on the TV. <laughs> I don't get what it is. I told Bill, what is the deal? Why? And he goes, I don't know. Again, my husband who thinks that it's right to go have checkups for all parts of the body. So I asked the wrong person. He's like, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it, you know, but there must be because men don't want to go get that test. It's, I think there's a part of it is the machismo component that they don't want to get touched or, you know, something, you know, it, it's, I don't really know. I couldn't, you know, put my finger on it exactly, but I. <laughs> that was good. He's been waiting to say that. that. Was good. <laughs> He's gonna act like that. Wasn't at all. <laughs> but um, it's it's just uh, it's so different just talking to women about their health. I mean, I don't even have to ask, and I hear about what my friends that are girls are doing. You know, what yeah. visits they're going to. Maybe part of it is being a pharmacy student. And um, I know Stephen probably noticed too, you get family and friends asking you all kinds of questions. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting to see how different it is uh, for on the women's health side versus the men's health side. And that's really just what we want to do is make guys and even their families. I mean, we've noticed that people's family members like they don't want to say the word prostate either and so stigmatized that it's really time for a change and you know we want to be the spearhead that changes that well i'm really happy to hear that and we need you to do that clearly um save lives save lives that's pretty important that's the goal <laughs> that's the mission well, Kim, we appreciate having you on the show, telling your personal story, something that was so, you know, just powerful for you to talk about and relive some of these memories. And as you even say, you know, bringing up something that you may have forgotten in the past. Uh, we just appreciate that, that personal, sincere connection. And as we all three can agree here is that one message to one viewer, you know, makes it all worth it. And so we are so appreciative, so grateful to have you on the show. Everyone, this is Kim Burns Cummings. You can find her on Instagram at Kimberly Pottery and her website at KimberlyPottery.com. Thank you. It was a joy having you on the show. We look forward to having you again, hopefully. Everyone, subscribe to the channel, like the video, comment, what does men's health mean to you? We're gonna put a link to her channel, her pages, any of these uh, programs that we find helpful for support systems. It was an absolute joy to have you. Thank you, Kim. It was a really, it was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stay safe, both of you, please. You too. All right. You too. Good night. Good night. Kim, before we sign off here. Okay. Uh, we're just going to get one like shot of us laughing, like talking so I can take some still frames for the, if that's okay. Yeah, of course, but I need to, I don't know where I'm going here. You're good. You're good. If you just want to act like you're laughing and saying something. No, I mean, uh, my screen went out. Oh, lost the screen. Uh, I did. But I hear you, so that's yeah, really we still, we still got you. We still got, we still see you. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I All I have is Zoom on the screen. <laughs> oh, we still see you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone make a laughing face and we'll <laughs> on it. Yeah, put your finger on it, right? Put your finger on it. <laughs> that was a good one, Kim. Okay. I didn't even mean, I didn't even mean that. It just, it just comes. Yeah, we know that was. Well <laughs> <laughs> That's how we talk to him like 98% of his conversations anyway. So. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, we're going to edit the video up and it may take a couple days, but 
uh, we'll be in touch, okay? Okay, thank you thank both. You. you did a great job. I'm so proud of both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. It really means a lot. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.